This is Jim Duncan with Nest Realty and the Sweat the Details podcast. Uh, this week we sat down with Josh Cromwell, who's the finance director at Star Hill Brewery based in Crozet, Virginia. And we had a, a, a fantastic conversation. We talked about the startup mentality, how they grew, grew some more, contracted, refocused, and are growing in a different manner. Uh, and walked through their, their rebranding process that was kind of extraordinary to see some of the parallels between what Star Hill are doing over their 20-year period and what Nest Realty are doing over our you know, now 10-year period. So it was, a, it was a great conversation. I hope you all enjoy it. Hey, we're sitting here with Josh Cromwell with Star Hill, uh, finance manager at Star Hill. Josh, thanks for joining us today. Thank you, guys. Glad to be here. So tell us a little bit about what, what your role is at, the, at Star Hill. You're based here in Crozet, um, Crozet, Virginia. Uh, and what do, you, what do you do there? Yeah, so um, Star Hill Brewery, um, we are about 20 years old now. Uh, it's our 20th anniversary year. So um, we are a production brewery um, that distributes uh, primarily in Virginia. But um, we are the largest independently owned craft brewery in Virginia. So okay. uh, my role is as finance manager, many hats, as most of our fellow craft brewers will uh, understand. Um, but uh, all of the finance, accounting, um, business admin side of, side of the of the work here. Um, so, you know, CFO hat, um, procurement hat, um, some of the material management stuff. Uh, I work with Robbie O'Kane, our brewmaster, a lot on um, future contracts on hops and malts and and a lot of the more complex things we have to do to plan for the future. Um, I've also been a lot, uh, really involved recently in some of our um, business development opportunities. So um, I'm sure we'll talk about our retail uh, locations in Roanoke and the newly announced one in Richmond, but doing a lot of the work there um, for business development and uh, mm-hmm. regulatory work. Yeah, there's a lot to do. So um, we, all, we all work uh, across many different business units here. Sounds kind of like you still have a startup mentality to you. Yes, very well. You have to. I mean, I, at a small. I mean, we're we're a small business, and you have to work hard and take on as many tasks as are thrown at you. And you'll discover new things to do every day, and somebody's got to do them. So um, we do we do a good job of sharing the load and um, people picking up slack uh, all across the organization. Josh, talk to, talk to me a little bit about the history of Star Hill in terms of growth. I know that um, the beer industry has been growing. You know, over the past, we'll say fifteen fifteen years or so, it's kind of had this big boom. Can you talk a little bit about the the growth and kind of the the pivots that you guys have made to to adjust with where the industry's going or where you see it's going? Yeah, definitely. We, you know, as I said, it's we're twenty years in now, um, and we look very different from day one for sure. Um, you know, the the brewery started um, in the late nineties. Um, Mark Thompson, who uh, is from the area originally, JMU grad, biology guy, um, went out and uh, learned his trade out in uh, Colorado and uh, in Oregon. Um, get, learned a lot of his craft with a lot of the famous, you know, brewery owners that that you hear out in the West Coast too. Kim Jordan at New Belgium, um, the like of all those. So um, they they definitely um, he honed his skills out there. Came back. Uh, his good friend Corn Capshaw, who many people know around the area. Um, had some real estate investments, and there was a um, there was a property down on West Main Street across from the train station in Charlottesville um, that uh, was originally a Blue Ridge Brewery uh, that was turning over. Corn bought it and asked Mark to come back and run his brewery and music hall that he was going to open. So Star Hill originally was a small brew pub and music hall in downtown Charlottesville and operated that way for about seven eight years. Um, 
And, you know, I think you hear a lot of people locally here remember going in there and having maybe sometimes their first beers <laughs> or uh, seeing good shows there. There were some pretty famous, uh, now famous people that rolled through there, you know, John Mayer, Kenny Chesney, et cetera. So we hear the good stories. That was a little be- uh, before my time with Star Hill. So I get to hear the good stories. But um, when uh, craft really started to take hold in the sort of the, the mid aughts, as they say, I guess, the mid 2000s, um, then, you know, ambitions grew course and so you know at that time really the biggest breweries in virginia were craft breweries were legend in richmond and then star hill um were really some of the only there was a couple in northern virginia as well um so we had ambition and decided to start to try to distribute beer um originally started with um you know what what they consider a a self-distribution model which is really um you know owning a family member, owning a distributorship and, um, distributing the beer. You have to separate, um, same person can't own a brewery and a distributor. So started that way and, uh, decided as they grew, it was a lot to handle. So signed on distributor relationships with the traditional distributors, um, and, and grew the business, um, in the late two thousands, um, Anheuser-Busch had these distribution agreements that they reached with some craft breweries. Um, we signed on to that. Um, it was an opportunity to grow our footprint. Um, we were distributing beer down to Florida, South Carolina, West Virginia, North uh, as well, and uh, grew really, really fast and um, caused a lot of problems. It was good to sell beer, but it also caused a lot of operational issues internally too. And um, get, Got out a little over our skis on the production side. Um, and at that same time, Anheuser-Busch uh, went through their massive um, – or the InBev acquisition of Anheuser-Busch happened. And so a lot of things changed during that time frame. And remember at this point, you know, the craft industry is starting to really take steam. Um, so, you know, you're seeing 20, 30, 50% growth uh, really across the industry in a lot of these businesses. So um, our decision at that point, um, Mark and Corin decided that they wanted to get out of the distribution agreement with Anheuser-Busch um, really get set on our own two feet, move forward, hired uh, some really talented individuals to get the production facility right-sized and where it needed to be. Um, we invested a tremendous amount of money in capital um, from a capacity standpoint. So um, a lot of fermentation tanks, expanded our facility, built um, a brand new fermentation cellar, um, and put a ton of money from about 2010 to 2014 into the growth potential of the business, um, which was a great decision. Um, it was a little ahead of when the real craft boom that people are familiar with happened in the you know 2012 to 2014 timeframe. Also, another catalyst for our business was um, the Virginia laws changed where we could have tap rooms without food and sell pints of beer. Um, that changed the Virginia brewery scene from about 40 to about 250 in four years. Holy cow. Yeah, it was insane, which, you know, looking back, we, we really are grateful for that um, because it challenged us to be better brewers, to be better at what we do. Uh, we were able to obviously capitalize on the, um, the cash flow component of a, of a tap room. That's always uh, great for, you know, sustainability of a business. But uh, looking back, you know, yeah, it created a lot more competition for us. And we're certainly better off for it. And we've made a lot of good friends in the industry. Um, but it changed the landscape pretty dramatically for us. And uh, we really focused from in those, you know, early 2010 years um, to quality, capacity and growth and sustainability. And 
Um, we did. We had some speed bumps along the way. Uh, in 2014, we decided it was time to rebrand the entire brewery. So we um, completely redid, you know, corporate logo, all of our packaging. Um, we have, you know, close to 100% grocery distribution in Virginia. Um, that's a big change to go through. It took us about nine months to plan, um, and took a lot of money. Um, we had to plan out timing when we were going to do it. How were we going to do it? We went through some um, consumer surveys on new artwork. We bid out the work to different graphic designers. Uh, it was a really complex project, but um, we found it to bear a ton of fruit for us. We saw great growth on the uh, launch of the new artwork and we're very happy. It's just, you know, the, the old artwork was very niche and in an industry that was very niche for craft for a long time, um, it worked. and. As it became a little more popular, um, craft beer that is, and a little bit more mainstream, we decided to broaden our marketing, and that's that was the focus for that rebrand. So that's really interesting. So at, at Nest, we're we're big into branding and, and marketing and design and things like that, and uh, we we talk a lot about when we list properties, it's how you merchandise a property, so how you merchandise mm-hmm. the house and how it's staged, and you know, exterior, interior, what the front entrance looks like. Talk a little bit about maybe if you can dwelling on the. Um, the branding approach about how you how you approach that from a um, from a packaging and merchandising standpoint and and I mean are these situations where you're talking to designers and we're actually kind of laying things out in grocery stores or laying the packaging out in grocery stores and what it's going to look like and comparing it to other brands and can you talk a little bit about that process? Yeah, we had a um, we had a lot of roundtable meetings ahead of the packaging redesign about all those questions that you just brought up and. You know, one thing that we, when we decided to move on from from our old look, um, you know, they were pieces of art. They were really, really intricate and beautiful works. Um, the problem with what we saw with some of them was that it was very hard for the common consumer on a grocery store shelf to identify that it was a Star Hill product and what the name of the product was and the style of the product. That was, and those are the three things you you need to make very clear to the consumer, or at least we felt, um, was brewery, style, and name of the beer. Um, occasionally, you may want to include alcohol content for the higher alcohol IPAs, things like that. Obviously, there's a you know, consumer, um, you know, there are certain things consumers are going to focus on. But those were really the, the, the three things that we wanted to make sure that we were incorporating. And then, of course, the artwork on the package also needed to be clear, concise. When you look at it, you know what it is. Um, so we wanted to simplify our color scheme. We usually chose about two to three colors on the packaging versus, you know, throwing a big piece of art on the wall. Um, so that seemed to work well for us as well. So what we did was we went out to um, a couple of graphic designers and, um, and, and got them to really start from scratch and throw us some ideas. We wanted to try something completely new. We didn't want to say, hey, this is where we want to go with the brand. Can you just tell us what we need to do to accomplish that? We wanted them to come and throw something completely new at us. And one in particular, um, she did a great job, and she really, the first time we saw it was a, was startling how different it was. But after thinking about it, um, it really was a big change that we needed. So Windsor Hug, she lives in North Carolina now. She used to be a Charlottesville native, and she works. she's worked with us for five years now. And so she... You know, certain brands will, you know, we either already know a name or we have a sort of a concept design that we know that we want to go with, whether it's because of the style or something random that one of us decides we like. 
Um, and so you can roll with that. But there's been plenty of packages that will say, hey, we're going to make a new logger and we want you to just think about it and what does that mean to you? And she's done some really cool creative work for us. Was there any pushback internally with the rebranding? No, I think we all acknowledged that we needed a little bit of a refresher. Um, I think cert, it was interesting. We went through a couple different iterations of certain brands. The hardest ones to really move forward with were the existing brands because everybody has their own uh, their own emotion attached to each one of those brands, whether it's the artwork, whether it's the beer, whatever it is. And uh, so, you know, the Northern Lights of the world, that's our flagship IPA. Um and, and a few others, The Love, which is our wheat beer, which has a lot of legs here in Charlottesville. People know about it. Those, you know, when you start to develop those, everybody has their own view of what that should be. So there was a little bit of discussion. I wouldn't say there was any hesitancy or reluctance, but we all had our ideas, and those probably took the longest, of course. Josh, how many SKUs were you guys running prior to the rebrand? How many were introduced at the time of the rebranding? And was that part of the conversation, or was there an intentional desire to increase those brands at that point, or where did you all head on that? Uh, we didn't really um, increase or decrease the entire portfolio strategically at that point. Um, we've done that over the last four to five years in particular. Um, at, as the business has grown and as craft has changed, we used to have a lot of core brands, year-round brands. Um, around the rebrand, maybe not specifically tied to that, we... We did eliminate a couple of brands that, you know, just weren't high sellers. And, um, of course, every time you eliminate a brand, there's going to be, a, you know, a group of people that gets upset. And it is unfortunate. We'd love to keep every brand around forever. But the reality is you can't, you know, you can't keep every brand and you got to make changes. So we did that. And we've done that over the last five years, really. Um, this year, we're, we're, we're eliminating from our package portfolio uh, two brands that have been around for a long time, Double Platinum IPA and Jomo Vienna Lager. And... Um, we'll still make them um, on draft. Yeah, I know it's uh, it's <laughs> the disappointing. Double platinum's going away. It's it's it will be on draft for for a long time, so it will be available. But the package <laughs> side of the business is um, we're we're consolidating a little bit. So we have four core brands now heading into 2019, um, which is easy to manage from an efficiency standpoint and a production standpoint. Um, we have the ability to make anything in draft, and now we have these. Um, the locations I mentioned in Roanoke and, and soon to be Richmond that will be able to produce some of these brands that that we're not we haven't we won't be doing anymore. So if we if we can turn to those those small outpost offices yeah, in terms definitely. of the supermarket, having these outposts will allow you to kind of perhaps be able to continue providing that at least in growler size formats and and to the local market. Can you speak more to why those outposts are important to the business and how you guys will be utilizing that for the foreseeable future? Yes. So we've um, We've strategically decided that you know the retail tap room and breweries are a really big growth opportunity for our business, particularly in Virginia. Um, you know, as as the craft beer industry gets a little more competitive every single day, um, you have to figure out a way to to differentiate yourself and and create your own touch points with the consumers. So, um, in 2017, we opened our Roanoke, uh, Virginia tap room and brewery. Um, couple different reasons why we did it. Uh, one, our production facility here in Crozet uh, has a, only a large format production brewery. So we can't experiment very easily on that system. Now, we've done a good job before that of not having to dump a ton of beer down the drain if something doesn't come out the way we want it. Um, but 
there's a lot of risk there. You're talking about thousands and thousands of dollars per batch if you just decide, hey, this IPA isn't exactly where we want it. So now we have a small-scale brewing system in Roanoke that we can experiment on. We can make some really funky beers. We can also um, do some trials for things that we may decide to take to the production side as well. So that's one piece of it, which obviously is a, is a great um, growth opportunity for the business, the overall business. Um, you know, retail tap rooms are, um, you know, the cash flow. They're they're a good sustainable piece of everybody's business, especially here in Virginia with with the you know ABC laws that we have. So um, we were very lucky from that perspective. And then, as you sort of alluded to, it's it's uh, it's also a really great way to build your brand even further in that specific market. So craft beer has become so localized and we used to be a local Virginia beer. Then we were a local central Virginia beer. Then we were a Charlottesville beer and we're almost a Crozet beer now, which is uh, incredible to think about. We're 10 10 miles down the road from Charlottesville and they have some great breweries there, six or seven great breweries in Charlottesville. And so a lot of people don't even think about us as a Charlottesville brewery because we're 10 miles down the road. So Becoming more and more local is important, and the Roanoke community has really embraced us. We've been very lucky. Um, we've got some great staff members down there that have done a fantastic job um, really making it uh, a part of the local community in Roanoke. And um, we've seen our grocery store sales really increase because people do feel that they that we've become a, a part of the community down there. And so there's a lot of benefits to building these locations, and it's not just one reason or another they all, it's the sum of all of them that makes it a really good business decision and a really good growth um, decision for the business. So I've got a question about, um, about that. You talk about you know, being local and building trust in a local community. Clearly when you go into a Richmond or a Roanoke and expand, you're making a big investment in the community. You're making a big investment. You're creating jobs, and I think that helps to build trust and build that local feel. What, what else are you doing um, in those new locations as you move in to build trust and build brand awareness and kind of get, get people more aware with the Star Hill brand? Yeah, that's a good question. So we started uh, a program here in Crozet about four or five years ago called Cheers for Charity. And so every month we choose a new local charity and donate a dollar for every pint sold to that charity. Um, we work with them to have kickoff events and, and parties at our tap room here in Crozet. Um, spread the word. And, you know, we want to be philanthropic to our partners in the community. We choose partners that make sense for us, that make sense for the community, things that we're passionate about, things that um, our community is passionate about. So that's been really successful in driving, you know, engagement for us and, and, and helping build up the community. We extended that down into the Roanoke area and that's done really well. Um, And we plan on doing that at every tap room that we open because it's important for us to, to be a part of the community and really not just open up our doors and expect people to come in. That's, you know, there's, that's not who we are, that we don't want to be those type of people that just, you know, tries to capitalize on just this massive growth industry. You know, we, we do feel very strongly this brand was built in Virginia. Um, we have a long history in Virginia and in these various areas, it's really important to, to be a part of the community and act like it, not just say you are. That's great. So obviously, as you've, as your company, as as Star Hill has grown and 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 shifted, and and over the past twenty years, um, you've gotten big. You've kind of gotten a little bit smaller. I shouldn't say smaller, but maybe more focused um, mm-hmm. on on where you're uh, putting your time and effort. Can you talk about along the lines of investing back in the community and charities? Can you talk a little bit about how your culture, from an employee standpoint, 
has has changed and how you communicate change to your to your team? Definitely. That's something that we talk about a lot. Um, it's really important. Um, this, you know, I, I don't come from a manufacturing background. Before I was at Star Hill, I, I did corporate finance up in D.C. So I walked in the doors at a brewery and a uh, into this facility, and it's it's a blue collar environment. I mean, you're making beer every day, and there's people. I mean, people have to stack cases. People have to to drive these forklifts around, and and it's hard work. Um, you know, one of the best things I did was the first two weeks on the job. I was working in every capacity in the brewery, sat up on the brew house for a couple of days. I worked in the cellar a couple of days and packaged beer for a couple of days. And uh, that was probably one of the most beneficial things I've ever done in my six years here, six plus years here is to have to go and work every single job. And um, so I think we, we have to understand who you are and what you do as a business and appreciate those that, uh, that do every single job from, you know, those out in the market and in the trade selling your beer and going into bars and restaurants, that's a really difficult job to do these days. Um, the people that are brewing your beer and, and taking care to make sure that it's of the highest quality, your, your guys on the line that are running your bottles and making sure that, you know, your everything looks good from the label to the cases and everything gets stacked properly and loading trucks. I mean, it's, it's hard work. And we, and we have a lot of people in the office that do really good work from, from a management perspective that um, to make sure that beer goes where it's supposed to go, that our marketing team, social media is, is, uh, is tidied up. I mean, we, we have a lot of people that do different jobs. So we focused a couple things. One, um, strategically, our, our ownership and, and the senior managers, we've, we, we're proud to offer really competitive and affordable employee benefits. That's really important to people. Um, we regularly look at compensation and make sure we're trying to be competitive in the marketplace. And, um, you know, we, we try to keep open dialogue. I mean, it seems super corporate to do, but, you know, we, we do keep formal written reviews every year. We do have communication to all staff meetings, um, not only just strategic decisions, but, you know, other, other points in the year when it's necessary to just give people updates, you know. And it's, it's important to keep employees involved in the business and understanding what's happening. Um, they need to feel a part of it. We've We've in the last five years or so, our turnover has been incredibly low. You know, there's there's certain jobs that inherently you're going to have turnover in, and that's okay, and we understand that. But um, we've, we're pretty proud of being able to limit that turnover as much as possible because we have a good buy-in from our team. Um, we try to make it as much of a family as you can. I know it's probably a really cliche thing to say about you know working at a company is you want to be a big family, but um, you have to lead by example. We have some really good leaders on the team that 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 know how to work hard. And if things need to get done, they jump in and do it. And um, it's, it's, it's a positive work environment. We're, we really try to cultivate that as much as possible. I want to step back to the, to the community question to a certain degree. You know, as, you, as you've picked your outposts, you know, Richmond and Roanoke, what about those locations jumped out at y'all? I mean, how, how did y'all say Roanoke is where we want to be? Or Richmond is, is that's where we're, our next step is? So Roanoke was our first step out. And... Um, one, Roanoke was a bit underserved from a craft beer perspective. Um, they had some a couple of really good craft breweries down there already, but um, there was still some opportunity to grow. As a percentage of the overall beer sales, uh, craft was lower than Virginia and national averages. So, you know, we start kind of looking at that. We also look at real estate. You know, we also want to make sure that, you know, we're not our strategy. And we've already crossed. We told our our real estate brokers before. It's you know we don't want to go to strip mall. Like that's not that's not 
what we're interested in. And so don't bring me that, you know? Right. And right. Um, so we hotspotted a few areas in Virginia, you know, not rural, not necessarily the most urban. Our decision to go to Roanoke first had to do with, you know, we wanted to make sure we we're doing it right. And, and it's an underserved market. It was, you know, a competitive real estate market and a really big growth market. I know that there's a lot of population, even moving down shockingly from Northern Virginia into that area. We've seen it here in the Charlottesville area. Richmond sees a lot of it. But now even Roanoke is getting that migration down from the greater right. Northern Virginia area. So, you know, population growth, industry growth is really important there. We chose our specific location. It's um, it's a it's a park that's being rebuilt. It's, it was an old stables building back in the day. And um, it's right down the street from the uh, the Centera Medical Center down there. Across, It's also across the street from the Virginia Tech um, Medical Building. So we've... There's a lot of really cool opportunities there. I mean, the, we're a mile away from the biggest employer in Roanoke. And so we chose the right places in Roanoke, we think, or the right place. Um, there's a lot of walking traffic. There's a, you know tons of bedrooms right on the same block that we have. So we felt really comfortable about the building, the real estate. We got you know we got a great landlord deal. Um, they're great partners for us. They, they really wanted to build up their area. And uh, so we found the perfect location perfect timing we felt um, from an industry perspective in Roanoke. And, you know, we, we got the buy-in from the ownership and, and signed the deal and moved forward. It took us about probably in all in all a year to execute, but really from, you know, signing the lease to execution, five, six months. So, yeah, exciting. That's great. Um, so I think we're, we're wrapping up here, and I just want to maybe ask one more question. So the, our podcast is Sweat the Details, and clearly over the last 20 years, Star Hill is focus on a lot of details. As you look inward at your business and you look uh, forward and how you're going to continue to grow and build your brand, tell me what you think one or two of like the most important details are for your business and your future success. Yeah. So we touched on the employee side a few minutes ago, but I think that, you know, it's probably the first thing I'd mention is making sure that you keep the culture the way you want to keep it and, also continue to value the employees that are there, the existing employees. Offer opportunities for growth as much as you can. Small business is hard to do. You know, I talk about that a lot with a lot of our team is that, you know, it's hard to create a career ladder at a small business. Um, but, you know, you have to find ways to, to build the people up that work for you and give them opportunities to grow. And as the business changes, um, we've been able to do that. And it hasn't always been clear every single day, but we've, you know, we feel pretty good about being able to give people the opportunity to grow that have earned it. So, you know, focusing on your staff and your team and keeping consistency uh, with your organization is really important. And we're, we're really focused on that. I think the next step for us also includes real focus on sustainability uh, from a business perspective. So, you know, we've tried to do the big growth opportunity and go out there and, and really you know, hit as many states as we possibly can and drop beer in a lot of places. And trends have been good. And we've got brand, good brand perception in a lot of out-of-state markets. But it's expensive, hard to manage. Um, the distribution model is complex uh, and getting more so. And we've made a focus internally to really to watch what we're doing and make sure that you can afford every single investment that you're making on sales and marketing. Um, not just sales and marketing, but you know, G and A and capital expense and all of that. It's it's important. Um, 
every decision we make has to be looked at with a microscope now. And we're doing that uh, in a very productive way. Everybody's on board with that at Star Hill. We've 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 been through some difficult conversations. We've also been through some really exciting conversations. You know, our our Roanoke facilities has uh, borne a lot more fruit than we thought, and a lot of that's due to staff. It's a lot due to our execution. But you know, we're we're excited to springboard that into new opportunities. Like we've mentioned, the Richmond location. Hopefully, summer of 2019 is our is our target goal, and we're excited to do some new things there. We're excited to to participate in the incredible beer community that exists in uh, Richmond and particular Scott's edition where we'll be located. Um, and, you know, we're going to continue to look at opportunities as they arise I, and, and different opportunities too, for the business. Um, we've, you know, there's a lot of service lines in the beer industry that, that can be uh, created and have been created in the past. And we're exploring all of them. Um, I think the sustainability piece and making sure that you're comfortable with your cash flow at all volumes is incredibly important. Josh, thank you so much for your time today. Really, truly appreciate your, your coming in and talking about all this stuff. It was uh, an exciting conversation. Uh, so really, thank you very much. Thanks, Josh. Appreciate it. Yeah, thank Great. you guys for having me. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Josh. And we look forward to the new tap room in Richmond and getting out and seeing you more across the state. Yeah, appreciate it. Thank you, guys. Yeah, I, I think that the, you know, Looking back at the conversation with Josh, you know, I was I thought it was phenomenal. I mean, the the discussion about how they, you know, started, grew, contracted, growing differently, uh, and then how they went through that rebranding process. Uh, it was you know it was a, it was a point of the, the conversation where I just sort of sat back and, and, and listened to what he said because it was it, it was it, I, I liked how, how they went about that process and the timing and just what they were focusing on. Uh, was you know I think there are a lot of you know parallels that I didn't recognize frankly between Star Hill and what we're doing at Nest. Absolutely, and one of the comments that we talked about early in the conversation was acting like a startup, which is a term we use all the time at Nest. Is really uh, never resting on your laurels, focusing on what's important, um, looking at new innovative ways to go about things, and just because you've achieved success, you know they he said they grew from Philadelphia down to down to Georgia, and they were serving in a you know a pretty large geographic market. Well, the market, the, the industry shifted, right. and the distribution model changed, and they said, this just doesn't make sense from a financial standpoint. So they um, they decided to, to you know, kind of retract their footprint a little bit and just go deeper within yeah. within Virginia and Tennessee. And that's, you know, that that's just good business, paying attention to what's happening with, with your industry and paying attention to your resources that you have and looking at the bottom line and saying, hey, look... There's other companies that say we're big, we're big, we're big. Or we got to check our ego at the door and just not focus on being big. Let's focus on just being a great business, so we can be we can be there long term and sustainable for our customers and for our employees. Very uh, very interesting to hear that um, that that conversation with him. Well, and I think you know, and, and we spoke more about it offline with him, but it, the the desire to to stay within the communities to become truly the local brewery in each of these markets where they're doing these outposts. Um, it gives them a, a better opportunity to really kind of model their tastes after the the consumers in that specific place. And I think that's it's a great way to experiment. It's a great way to expand the opportunities available to their employees. It's a great opportunity for their their customers to have more input. Um, it's a it's a really cool model. It sounds like you know we use the term another term we use a lot is smart growth and growing the the, the right way. And they've clearly have taken a very strategic approach to their business and how and where they're growing and and you know, planting their flag in the right areas. That makes sense, not just 
for the overall business, but you know, it makes sense in the local market where they see a niche and an opportunity. I didn't know. I mean, I, I knew, but I didn't realize that they've been around for this their twentieth year. Twentieth year is amazing. Um, you know, I, just, I said offline that we, you know, my, we used to drink their Dark Star Stout at their downtown Charlottesville location when I, when not when I was a kid because I would have been bad, but I was you know of age, you know. But it, it, it's something that you know the way they've grown is you know quite remarkable, and it's uh, and to, uh, twenty years seems like a long time in the yeah. craft brew world. No, but I re- I remember absolutely going to their music hall portion of Star Hill. I mean, that so, was I saw uh, some great shows. Yeah, some great shows there. It's it's been you know, and I think the one neat thing is just how much the influence Charlottesville has had over the company's growth. What they've you know the way they started, the way that they've grown has been a very Charlottesville story. And yeah. it's it's a it's a community outreach. You know. Yeah, the idea. I just I, mean, I didn't. I, there were so many parallels between what Star Hill were doing. And what we're doing from a from a branding, from a community perspective, from a, a, a an intelligent growth perspective, and and I think that you know your term, you know, going deeper, it's what, what you know, going deeper in each community instead of having being in seventeen thousand communities, you be in the right communities and you have an influence yep. in each one. Right, spot on. I totally agree. No, Josh was great. 